What is up, P7 family? Thank you so much for joining us for this P7 podcast. We're excited that you're here hanging out with us. The goal of this podcast is to, yes, inform you. We want to bring things that you can do in your P7 club to grow your P7 club or perhaps grow you as a leader. But ultimately, we want to inspire you through God's word because we know through his word and his spirit, we can be transformed. So grab a pen, grab some paper, or grab your phone and open up the notes section. Write some things down. We know that it's going to help you. Let's dive in. God, thank you for this call tonight. Thank you for every young person that's tuned in tonight and those that will tune in later on on our YouTube page. God, I pray that you'd speak to each heart. God, we would not leave here the same. We'd be equipped and empowered to be everything that you want us to be this school year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Tonight, we are honored to have with us Pastor Sean Stickler. He is from Belleville, Ontario, um, from Canada, um, originally from America, but he's now, he made the switch. God gave him the revelation, so he gave me the switch here. And uh, he's, our, <laughs> he's our North American Mission Director here in Ontario, and it's great to have him on speaking to us tonight. I'm going to turn this over to him. As well, a reminder, all these uh, sessions are uploaded to UPCI Youth Ministries, on the YouTube page. This one will be uploaded there. So if you missed it, you gotta tune in next time. All right, Brother Stickler, thank you for taking time to speak to us tonight. Greetings, everybody. So good to be with you here from Belleville, Ontario, Canada. As Brother Nangoma mentioned, I'm um, a dual citizen, grew up in Delaware. I don't know if there's anybody from Delaware on the call here tonight. Uh, I was in the New Jersey, Delaware district, maybe somebody from New Jersey. If you are, please give a shout out on the chat there. But it's such an honor to be with you tonight. So looking forward to this call. Thank you, Brother Nangoma. It's been a long time since we were together. Actually, he preached for me yesterday in church. And uh, I'll give a little testimony. He did a great job. We had a great service and had uh, one young lady who was both filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in that service. And God was doing amazing things. So good to see you again, uh, a little less than 24 hours later. And also, uh, Brother Boyd, thank you for allowing me to be on this call and for all that you do uh, as well. If he's on here, I don't see him. I'm looking for him on here. But thank you uh, for all that you do for P7 Clubs. And listen, we are excited in Belleville about P7 Clubs because we had our first one just for about three sessions at the end of the school year last year. And uh, we had our first session this year uh, at uh, a couple girls in our church at their high school. And, and Brother Amani mentioned that on their first session, which was last week, they had 27 uh, young people in their first session with a Bible study about the prodigal son, and it was amazing. And so we're excited about that. Uh, P7 Club with 27 young people in their first session. So we're, we're pumped up about P7 Clubs, and we're so excited to see all of you that are on here that are involved in P7 Clubs or involved in ministry. It's so exciting to see students who are stepping out into leadership and making a difference with your lives. And so I honor you for being on the call and hope that uh, I pray, and I prayed today, um, that you will have an understanding tonight of how important you are in this time of harvest that you and I are ministering in. 
And that's why what I want to talk to you about tonight is this idea that I know who I am. Now, if we were in church, I'd say turn to your neighbor. Maybe you're sitting there. I see I see one, one uh, person there, yes, sitting there with their brother or their sister and, and tell them, I know who I am. That would be what I would tell you to tell your neighbor. Tell them, I know who I am. And I'll tell you why that is so important. I'll tell you why that is so important. Because the world and the devil are working really hard to unleash confusion in our world, especially in regard to identity. The adversary in the world is trying to confuse and cause uh, students to question and to doubt and to explore, to sample other all kinds of things, all with this question about who you are, what your identity is. In fact, some of the conversations right now, just you can Google this, I don't recommend it, but some of the conversations that are happening right now are whether schools should accommodate students who identify as cats, as they identify as cats. True story, Google it, it's going on right now. You may even have uh, some students who identify with cats in, in your school. And maybe that's a little more rare, you know, than, than the norm. But I'm just telling you, what is kind of a little more common is there are too many young people and old people too, living below their potential, struggling emotionally, struggling to live right because of insecurities in their minds as to who they are. I want to solve that tonight. I want to help you with that tonight, okay? Because you all, not so much my generation, but the generation after mine, and I've got four kids. I've got one who's in university, one who just started high school this year, uh, another daughter. I have three daughters and a son. Uh, and th my three daughters are in university, high school, and high school. And so I have seen, I have seen as they have grown up and as you have grown up in a societal context that has really created and fostered a very insecure generation. Now, I'm not talking about some of you, but I might be talking about some of you, okay? I don't know all your situation, but maybe, maybe this is uh, something that some of you are dealing with. We are we are battling an immense insecurity among your age demographic. Uh, and, and why is that? Well, of course, we, we've got TikTok, you know, and we look at picture after picture after picture. And those pictures now, you can put a filter, you can get rid of all your acne, all your zits, you can look perfect, you know, you can even change, make yourself look skinnier than you are. You're already very skinny, but you can make yourself look skinnier. You can augment your picture and make it look a certain way. And so every picture is a picture of perfection, you know, and, and, and that, that, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for us. Um, you know, um, we got TikTok and I'm not on TikTok. I, I don't even want to ask how many of you are on TikTok. It's probably a very high percentage that are on TikTok. But listen, uh, and, and on TikTok, you know, we got videos on how to lose weight, how to cook in a way that you don't, you eliminate all fat and carbs and everything and all of that and 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 how to lose weight quickly and all these different things. And, and there's no, there's, there, there's really, it's, it's not hard to understand why we have seen a rise in depression and a rise in eating disorders and uh, a rise in mental illness uh, situations and, and circumstances. Because here we are looking at picture after picture, life after life. You're looking at everybody's best life, you know, their best life. And, and you can look at that and think, well, I don't have that life. 
my life's not as good as theirs is. Look at look at them on another trip. Look at all the great coffee they drank. Look at look at them, uh, the picture of, of perfection. I don't have that life. Look at how many, and I hope you've never done this, but let's be honest. Look at how many followers they have on TikTok. Look at how many followers they have on Instagram. And um, in fact, it's so bad, you know, Instagram had to stop publishing the number of followers on pictures because people were becoming so consumed with the number of followers and likes on a picture, they stopped putting that. So now they just tell you two or three people who liked it and they don't tell you how many people liked it because we become obsessed with this likes and the message that we've been given is that your worth and your value is, is, is valued by followers and likes. By I'm valuable because I've got, look at all the followers I have. I'm valuable. Look at all the likes I have on what a, the picture I put out. And, and as a result, you know it, people do all kinds of stuff to get likes and followers and attention. You know, they do weird stuff on videos and reels, you know, that you'll watch all the way through. Just, just crazy little dances and all kinds of stuff that's going on out there. They'll say controversial things, you know, just to get some shares and some likes. They'll even, let's be honest, people are posting provocative pictures and things like that in order to get likes and followers. But I came on the call today to tell you, to talk to some folks, some young people, some students, and tell you that your value is not scored by likes and shares. But the Apostle Paul, here's what he wrote in Ephesians 2.10. And you need to write this scripture down somewhere. If you got your phone, don't go to TikTok. Go to the version app for a second and go to Ephesians 2.10 so that you picture this verse, you know, take a screenshot of this, go there in your Bible and learn this verse and put it to memory. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you got your version Bible app and you switch the version there, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that some of the other uh, translations take that word workmanship and they say it this way. We are his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece, okay? Here's the truth, my friends. There is only one like that really matters in this life. There is only one like that is worth living for and giving your all for, it's that Jesus Christ endorses and likes the way that I live and the way that you live. That's the like, that's the follower that matters most. That's the approval that we're looking for. And I want you to hopefully understand today. I wanna remind us, okay, of who you are, okay? I want you to leave here saying, I know who I am. I wanna remind you of who you are as a born again believer, because the world has made identity a source of confusion and pressure, right? There's a lot of pressure on, on understanding your identity, and it's become a source of confusion as the world encourages young people to question their identity, to doubt their identity, you know, uh, exposing that maybe there's, you've got an identity conflict that who you say you are, who you who you, you live and the way you're living may not be who you really are. You've been coerced into believing you're somebody that you're not and question your identity, doubt your identity, right? And so we got so many people with identity conflicts, right? Because the world is telling us, question who you are. You're really someone different than they're telling you you are or that you've believed you are. You've lived this way 
but it's not who you are. There's a conflict in your identity. And reconciling this idea of who you are is so important because listen, listen, if you're going to put something out, put this out. How you see yourself will determine how you will conduct yourself and that will determine how you will feel about yourself. I'm going to say that again. That's so important. How you view yourself, how you see yourself, your identity, what you think about yourself will determine how you will conduct yourself or how you will live. And that will determine how you live determines how you feel about yourself, how you feel emotionally and that how your, 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 your value and your, your pride about who you are as a child of God, okay? Here's what identity means. When we talk about identity, this is the definition of identity, okay? Identity can be thought of as your self-definition, okay? How you view you. That's what identity is. But they say it's the glue that holds together every aspect of a person's self. So how you view you will determine how you will be you, how you will act, how you will conduct yourself, okay? Okay, and I think that what the identity conversation in our world tells us, and everybody's talking about it, they keep, it just keeps growing, right? So now they're saying, do we, how do we accommodate people who identify as cats, okay? This identity conversation here, all right? This identity conversation that we're in, it reveals, hear me, just how miserable life is when you don't know who you are, okay? What the identity conversation and what you're seeing in your schools, what you're seeing in your university, the people you're interacting with that hopefully you're inviting to your P7 clubs, the people in the world that you say, man, they're so lost. They're battling with this identity question, but what it tells you is just how, how miserable life is when you don't know who you are, okay? And I would simplify that even more to say it this way. The quest or the search for who I am reveals how empty and hopeless life is without the I am. Are you hearing me today? The search for who I am reveals just how empty and hopeless life is without the I am. We, we need him. We need him. And in him, uh, the one scripture says, we live and move and have our being. Uh, he is the source of our identity. And I want you to own that today because the adversary would like to confuse every one of you and discourage you and destroy your own concept of you. Have you doubting you and doubting your ministry and doubting your worth and doubting your value and doubting your call? He wants to put doubt into your mind. And, and if listen, and, and here's the truth. If you make life all about you, then yeah, you will be disappointed because of who you are. But your identity is not found in who you are. It's found in whose you are. Did you hear that one? I hope that, that S slipped through in, in my accent, my, my Delaware accent. I don't have a Canadian accent. I don't have a Southern accent, but here in Canada, you think I'm from the South. Those of you on here from the South know that guy doesn't sound like he's from the South. He's from the North. I'm just telling you, I hope you got it. I hope you heard the S. Listen, the, I, listen if it's about you, you'll be disappointed if it's about who you are. Your identity is not found in who you are. Your identity is found in whose you are. You are his. You are his, okay? Paul wrote a lot about identity. 
I want to read you one of the scriptures. It's in Galatians 2.20. Write it down and go back to this scripture. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. What? My identity has shifted. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's been a change in me. It's not no longer about me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, this is so important in this scripture, Galatians 2.20, okay? So Paul's saying, I've got a shift. I know who I am. My, my identity is found in, in my faith in the Son of God. And then he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Put that scripture in your mind for a second. Memorize it. Write it down. Meditate on that word. You look at it tomorrow because you've got to understand this. You've got to get this, this part here. You are his masterpiece. You are a child of the king. You are the beloved of God. He loved you enough. Paul said, who I was, the life I live, I no longer live that life in the flesh. It's no longer who I am. He said, but I found my identity in someone who loved me and gave himself for me. And you've got to see this, that he loved you. He gave himself for you. He liked you. We've been talking about likes. He liked you enough to give all of himself for you. Now, here's the thing. As apostolics, I've been in the apostolic church my entire 46 years. Oh, did he tell you he's 46 years old? Help us, Lord. In my entire 46 years, I've been in the apostolic church. And I'll tell you this. We focus a lot on Pentecost. Thank God. We had somebody filled with the Holy Ghost on Sunday. I told you in the service there, we want we, we expect a move of the Holy Ghost when we gather together. Can I get an amen in the chat, somebody? We expect the Holy Ghost to move. We expect lives to be changed. We expect miracles. We expect the Holy Ghost to do a work when we gather together. But here's the thing. If you've been raised in the church, especially if you've been raised in the Pentecostal church, in the apostolic church, sometimes we just go right to Pentecost. All right? We just go right there. But I want to encourage you. Don't don't just get to Pentecost without a stop at the cross. Be sure you, on your journey to Pentecost, you take a few moments at the cross. Because at the cross, there's a testimony. He loves me. He cares for me. He died for me. Don't just, I, I love Pentecost. I love it. I love it. But, but you know what makes me love it? You gotta, you gotta take a stop. You gotta, you gotta stop for a few minutes and, and stare in awe at the cross, right? Paul said, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans 5, 8, the apostle Paul said this, but God, now I want you to see this. You need to go there in a Bible or write it down and go later. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is finding his value. He's finding his worth. He's finding his value in a savior who would die for him. But this is what the Lord showed me today as I was reading this again. Did you ever, I, I always, you know what? I've been preaching this wrong. I realize I get up there and I always say, for God demonstrated his love toward us, demonstrated past tense. That's not what the scripture says. In fact, that word demonstrates is present tense. Look it up. Go to your, go to your, you know, your Greek. It is a present tense word. God demonstrates. He's still showing you his love by the one who died for you. He is still revealing his love for you. It is active. 
It is, it is present tense. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we would not have everything all together, we're going to talk about that in a second. I wish I had some witnesses on the Zoom call who would say, amen, I don't have it all together. And yet, even though we were still sinners, he demonstrates his love toward us and that Christ died for us. Oh, praise God. Oh, pray. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I get a little emotional when I think about the cross because there's no greater love than what's displayed at the cross. Peter said it this way, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 9, you can just read it or go there later. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We use this one all the time, right? A holy nation, uh, uh, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this is important because we always stop there. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, the enemy wants to take that from you and confuse your identity and get you confused. And that's why I've got three things I want to speak to somebody, okay? Here they are. I'll do it quick. I promise you. Number one, because the enemy is trying to confuse you, I want you to know this, that your past does not dictate your identity. Your past is not who you are today in Christ, okay? Second Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why is that so important? Because it's a new start. It's a fresh beginning. You're a new creature, some versions say. You know what? That All that wrong of who you were before, that old life, that serving sin, serving yourself, it can be changed in a moment in the presence of God. And aren't you thankful for that? He changes us. We're new creatures. We're new creations. And, and when you're repent of your sins and you're baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with his spirit, you are born again. And your past is not relevant to your identity anymore. Oh, praise God. You know why that's so important? And I'll tell you why, because everybody on this call, there's a bunch of leaders on here. You may not have all been raised in the church, like I talked about me and some of them have. And the adversary comes along and tries to tell you, you'll never have the same anointing and you'll never have the same testimony and you'll always struggle and you'll always have this problem and you'll never have the credibility to do the work that God is. If God has called you to it, he's given you the tools to do what he's called you to do. And your past is not who you are today. Oh, that's a word for somebody. That's a word for somebody because the adversaries tried to shackle you reminding you of what you were before you were in Christ. But today you're a new creation. So be what God has called you to be. Lead the people of God. Do your peace seven club boldly. Speak the word of God with conviction. Don't let the enemy confuse your identity. When you were born again, your past has no more bearing on your identity. You're the people of God. You're a child of God. Oh, praise God. Somebody needs to hear that, but that's not it. Because isn't it true? And I already said, I had a few witnesses in the chat there that even though we are born again, we don't have everything worked out. <laughs> uh, we don't have it all worked out. We still mess up, don't we? We still do some things that we wish we hadn't done. And our enemy 
is a master of shame and guilt, convincing you that you're worthless, convincing you that God can't use you. That's why I wanted to tell you, not only does your past not dictate your identity, but your mistakes also do not dictate your identity. You see, even after being born again, we still don't have it all right, do we? And there's things Paul even said, the great apostle Paul said, there's things I want to do I don't do. And I find myself doing things I really don't want to do. I'm paraphrasing, but you know it. That's basically it. He says, the things I want to do, I, I don't do. And I find myself doing things I wish I wasn't doing. And I want to tell somebody, you may have messed up. You may have even done some things. You may have even failed this weekend. You may have done some, you may, you know what? The enemy wants to place an identity of shame upon you. He wants to place shame upon you. And shame is a shackle that will keep you from ever being all that God wants you to be. Romans 8, 1, the great apostle said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. No, we don't have it all right, but that's why you got to walk in the spirit. Maybe you had some thoughts you shouldn't have and the enemy's tried to make you feel shameful of those. Or maybe you've even looked at some stuff online that you know you shouldn't have and the enemy wants to keep throwing that in your face. And But listen, I've come to tell you that's not who you are. You're still a child of God. And, and you know what the difference is? The Bible says, what is it about the righteous? They fall, but they get up again. They get up again. So important. Uh, uh, that's not who you are. And I've come to tell you, if you're struggling with some things, in your life, you got to connect to the spirit. They that walk according to the spirit, they walk not in the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay. That why? Because that spirit will remind you when you're touched with the Holy Ghost. Oh, doesn't it remind you who you are? A child of the King, a, a, a child of God. You got to get this, right? The concept of who you are is so important because if you can get a concept of who you are, I'm telling you, and I'm going to explain in the end who you are, but if you can get a concept of who you are, it will help you to overcome those things you're struggling with in your life. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment, okay? I live a certain way. I have some convictions, some lifestyle choices, some lifestyle convictions. You know what the source of those is? Yes, someone taught me those things growing up, but I'm telling you, that's not why I do them today. I do them because I love him, because I love him. We live the way we live because we love him, right? Because we understand who we are. We represent Christ. We're children of God. I'm living holy. I'm living separated, different, because I'm a child of God. You got to know who you are. Third thing, and I'm done. I'm almost done. Well, I'm not done, but I'm getting real close, okay? Third thing, your past doesn't dictate your identity. Your mistakes don't dictate your identity. This world also does not dictate who you are. It doesn't dictate your identity. You say, what do you mean, pastor? I mean, the reason so many people are not happy in this life, why so much of your generation and mine are struggling with happiness. They, they don't have joy. You've been deemed the sad generation, a sad generation. You know why so many people are feeling sad is because we are looking for affirmation and identity from the world. And the world is not affirming the way of truth. The world is never going to affirm the lifestyle of holiness. The world is never going to say, oh, you pay your tithes? That's so amazing. The world is never going to affirm the things of God. In fact, it's going to get maybe even more hostile than it even is. 
to the things of God. And so if I'm looking for affirmation for my life from the world, I will always be discouraged because you cannot please both the world and God. You cannot do both, right? You can't do it. And so I can't let the world be my source of identity. You say, how does this happen? I'll tell you. How many people do you know that identify with their profession? Who are you? I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon, right? I'm, I'm a manager. You ask somebody to introduce themselves and they'll tell you what they do, you know, what their job is, you know, but your profession is not who you are, right? Others identify with a disease. You know what? I, I'm depressed. I have depression. I'm a diabetic, right? I'm, I, I'm bipolar. Or I've got ADD. They're identifying with these things, but that's not who they are. That's not who they are. Our flesh, these, this is not really who we are, right? They're shells of something greater, our soul, our flesh, this world is not who we are. The carnal things are not who we are. Paul the apostle, okay? He's, we don't talk about this, but Paul ran a very successful business. He was a tent maker, right? He made tents. He, 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 he had a successful business. It financed his ministry. He talked about at times he didn't have to take support from churches because he took care of himself with his business. But nobody talks about Paul, the tent maker. We don't have seminars about here's the, the tips from Paul on how to grow a successful business, right? The entree leadership doesn't talk about the apostle Paul as a model of business success. We don't even talk about his business at all because that wasn't who he was. And that wasn't what lasted in Paul's life. It was just a means to his ministry. Who you are in this world, what you invest in this world as far as professions, and they're, they're good, be a success, but that's not who you are. It's not what lasts. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest stories of Christendom, nobody talks about how good of a tent maker he was. He, and he doesn't even brag about his tents, right? And all his writings, he doesn't say, yeah, and you should have seen the tents that we made, man, they were some beauties. No, here's what Paul says about who he is. Philippians 3, 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, though I've got a lot to be proud about in this world of success. If anyone else thinks he has, may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul said, I've got a lot on my resume. My LinkedIn is ridiculous with jobs and endorsements. Look at all the skills I've got. How many people have endorsed me? He says, if anyone thinks that they might have confidence in the flesh, I got more. My LinkedIn's ridiculous, okay? He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew concerning law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But look at verse seven, Philippians 3, seven. But what things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for Christ, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Some versions say dung, you know, good old King James, count them as dung, help us, Lord, dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having not my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through Christ, the righteousness, which is from God through faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul found out who he was, who he is. And Paul will over and over write scripture to remind us of our value, our hope, our future, 
our life is defined by Christ Jesus. Give you one more scripture that Paul wrote. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're part of the family of God. You're members of the household of God. My friends, we are children of God. We're part of the family of God. And what that means, and this is your identity, that means that you and I, we are loved by God. We're loved by God. And listen, that's enough. It's enough. It's enough. You see, it seems the, probably the apostle John probably understood that more than any others. In his wonderful gospel, the gospel of John, John writes from firsthand experience. In fact, one of the unique nuances of the gospel of John is most believe it was the last of the four gospels written. And so John is kind of filling in gaps. You know, he covers things that the other three gospel writers don't include because he's read their gospels. He's seen them and he's he's filling in some pieces here and sharing some other stories that that they didn't write. In fact, at the end, he says, you know, there's so much written there's so much that Jesus did. There aren't enough books to hold all the stories. And so he's giving you some stuff that the others didn't cover. And, and he's writing to you from firsthand experience. You know, Luke's got his information from somewhere else. Mark probably got his information from Peter. Matthew was there, but, but John's right there. And he's closer than all the rest of them, right? He's one of those inner three. I mean, he is, he's closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. He's there all the way through the cross, right? He's the only one there at the cross. The other disciples are gone, but Good old John, he's there. And John writes in his gospel, you know, miracles and stories that are so amazing. But what's interesting about the gospel of John is that whenever John speaks of himself, he refers to himself simply as this, like in John 13, 23, he calls himself the one Jesus loved, the disciple Jesus loved. Why? Why, John? Is this some sort of literary trick? Is this some sort of weird literary way of, uh, did he not want people to know who was writing this gospel? No, no, no. I don't think it's any of that. I think that John is so overwhelmed by the love of God, by the love of Christ, that it has become his identity. He said, my very identity is, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I'm the one that Jesus loved. You know what's important? That's your identity too. That's my identity too. And that is enough. Maybe John looked at his flaws. Maybe he looked at himself and maybe he looked at his mistakes and even his successes at times, you know, maybe he looks at life and in it all, he simply said, my life is defined by this. It's defined by the love of God. It's defined by the love of Christ. I read an article by a lady. Her name was Krista Threefall, she's the author of a book called Come to Jesus, and she talks about reading this scripture with her kids, and they came to that phrase in John about the one that Jesus loved in John 13, 23, and one of her, her children asked her about that description, the one that Jesus loved, and she explained what I just did to you. John was the author of the book, and those words refer to himself, and her nine-year-old son commented and said, said this, he must not have been loved like that before. How powerful of a statement. 
because that's what sets this love apart from every other human relationship that you've ever experienced. It's a love like we've never experienced before. John would write in his epistle, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's why we love him. That's who we are. We're the ones that Jesus loved. Someone loved us. Someone loved you like you have never been loved before. Human love is flawed. Human love even can hurt at times. I don't even want to go there. We'll talk about that in a relationship call. Human love can even hurt you sometimes, right? But this love that I'm talking about, this perfect love, John said it casteth out fear. <laughs> this perfect love, it defines who we are. It's the motivating force for how we live. It's the reason. Why do you live holy? Because he first loved us. Why do you live a separated lifestyle? Because I understand he loved me. He first loved us. Well, why, well, why do you give him your best life? Why do you live the best life that you can, giving time and ministry? Because he first loved us. And the Apostle Paul, one more scripture, last one, I promise. This is the last scripture, really, last one. Ephesians 3, 17. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I know who I am. I'm loved by God. And that's enough. And so we live to love him back. I know what you not got to know who you are. You're the beloved of God. You're loved by God. And so you live to love him back. Why do you set up chairs for that P7 club? Because he loved us. Why do you go to your teacher and argue to have that group, even though, you know, they're telling you they don't want it in your school? Why do you do it? Because he first loved us and you want to love him with your life. Why do you teach Sunday school on Sunday after doing the P7 club? And why do you do why do you study for the lesson when you got to study for school because you understand who you are? I'm the loved of God. He loved me. And I love him because he first loved us. And I tell you that because when you start to feel bad in this world, when you start to feel the shame, when you start to feel the heaviness, when you start to feel the difficulty that life tends to bring to every one of us, the darkness, remember you're not of this world. You're part of the family of God. You're bought with a price. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> if you're wondering if you're going to make it through that trial, just remember he loves you. He's there for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. His love will, when you feel disqualified that you shouldn't teach the lesson that you feel to give, just remember who you are. You're a child of God loved by God. You're not who you were before. You're not what you did. You're, you're not, you're loved. You're the loved of God. And what someone needs today is a reminder of how much he loved you. A little stop at the cross so you can enjoy fully Pentecost and being filled with his spirit. I want to pray for you right now as we close. And I don't know, I think you guys maybe do some questions and have some other things to talk about, but 
I just really feel like somebody needs a renewal of an awareness of how much Jesus loves you. You need to stop at the cross. You need a, a moment there, a reminder that even though you were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you need a reminder that you're a child of God and he's called you to walk in his love, understanding who you are. You're a child of God. And if right now you've been feeling heavy, you've been feeling shame, you've been feeling not qualified to do the work God has called you to, I want you to allow his Holy Ghost right now, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost from heaven to come right where you're at, whatever room you're in, you may be in a dorm room, you may be in your bedroom, but for a moment, would you invite the Holy Ghost into your room to renew something in you tonight, an awareness of the goodness and love of God? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you. Oh God, you've been so good to us. You've been so good to your people. Lord, we love you tonight because you first loved us. And I pray that we could walk boldly as children of God, that we could walk in the anointing and the authority that you've placed upon us as your children, your sons and your daughters. These are powerful ministries that are on this call. These represent areas. These represent strongholds and places all across countries right now, not just not just one country, but multiple countries are represented here. There are souls across the world right now that are represented in the ministries on this call. There are young people tonight who need to walk in the authority you've given them as your children, as your chosen people. But the adversary, Lord, would like to confuse and destroy and distract them. The adversary would like to put a cloak and a shackle of shame on their life. But I pray in the name of Jesus that they would right now feel your love as your Holy Ghost, as your presence moves upon them, as you fill them again, as you comfort them, as you cast out all fear, as your perfect love comes wherever they are right now, infiltrate homes and dorm rooms and, and places right now where these young people are and let them be renewed in the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord. Let them renew their commitment to live for you in an awareness of what you've done for us and let us live boldly, confidently as children of God in this world. You will be there with us. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And so, Lord, we pray that the love of God would shine through us and help us, Lord, to be who you've called us to be in this hour. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on this P7 podcast today. We hope that you feel inspired to unlock your faith, unleash truth, elevate Christ, and serve others in your home, in your church, in your community, in your school. Uh, if you want more information about Project 7 Bible Clubs, uh, visit p7clubs.com, and we've got incredible resources ready for you right there.